Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. As usual, this is one of my favorite space right here before we enter into the conversation is to stop and thank our guests because I personally believe that they're coming with a few things I deem very expensive. Time. What a commodity that has been offered to all of us. It is given to us 24 hours. How we utilize that time will speak volumes of how we understand ourselves. The other is the journey. The journey housed who we were and created this beautiful stuff that we're looking at, these individuals. And so we are honored that Heather is here to share both of those expensive commodities with us. And we are so just happy to have her in our space. Heather, thank you for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm super excited about this. <laughs> so am I. Um, we, we'll tell the others, uh, people, the other people, you know, the adventure before here. So um, introduce us to yourself and tell us about how do you serve uh, others? So hi, everyone. My name is Heather Claus. Uh, friends call me Nookie. My pronouns are she, her. And I serve, oh gosh, I've been serving for a long time. I've spent a lot of time um, in alternative lifestyles, uh, teaching, traveling, educating, and also, of course, learning myself so that, you know, I can be not only a better person, but a better educator, a um, better mentor, a better coach to the people that I work with. Um, I write books, I write blogs, I go on podcasts like this to talk about the things that I've learned through my life. And um, Ken, I just wanted to uh, give back to you something based on that little introduction and your, your pre-thanks um, for the value of my time. And this is a quote uh, from my book. That is, uh, yeah. when you set boundaries on your time and you make the time choices most likely to deepen and enlarge your positive moments in your various relationships and your life, you show yourself and others what is really important to you. That is beautiful. I actually agree. <laughs> Absolutely. That is um, a beautiful piece of nugget. And thank you for that. Um, one of our customs here is to go back. Uh, the family unit is one of the first space that we get an opportunity to reside there for a few years, if you will. Mm -hmm. And while we're there, we're interacting with others and we are learning and inputting data as we are um, here in this space for a little while. Introduce us to your family. What was that like as a young girl growing up? So um, I'm one of those people where when it comes to my family, I had an almost idyllic um, close family. I had, I was mm -hmm. an only child. Um, my mother is an artist. My father was a philosophy professor. And they raised me to believe that I am strong. I am powerful. I am beautiful. I can accomplish 
anything, if not everything. Um, yeah. My mother gave me creativity and spontaneous um, actions and a love for life and all the cultures and people around us. And my father gave me um, a structured way of thinking, uh, researching, looking into and um, critically understanding uh, the world around us. Now that said, <laughs> that <laughs> nuclear group um, yeah. is looking back on it greatly at odds with the society that mm -hmm. I was growing up in. So while my family yeah. gave me amazing tools and potential, um, society was giving me different messages, very, very different signals about how I needed to conform and, you know, get along and do things that, you know, weren't comfortable for me just to, you know, be friendly or whatever. And I didn't even realize until I had gotten into um, and through my young adulthood that I had absorbed so much from external sources, um, mm -hmm. you know, movies and uh, TV shows about how I should be, what I should look like, and so on and so yeah. forth, that after I finally realized that it was more like coming back to my home and being glad it was there for me um, yeah. when finding myself. Yeah, those are two of the most powerful perception that you had the positive in you as a young child. The creativity aspect necessary, trust me, in personal development. The other is that critical thinking piece that you acquired from your dad. The critical thinking skills is absolutely necessary when one is going to embark in life, period. And then when it comes to the personal journey, it is absolutely one of the most powerful tools that you can have in your quiver, if, if you will. And so here you are. You mentioned that you had uh, the dichotomy with uh, society and you kind of drank a little more of that than what your mom and dad had uh, uh, deposited to you as a young child. And that's normal, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, your influence as far as your friends, people that you perceive, uh, your age group and stuff like that will be having conversations and those things happen. So here you are, you have um, digested all of the world's food, if you will, and beliefs. And so you're moving through life and you're going into the college arena or you have that crossroad. That's one of the most the major crossroads that we have in life, the college or going someplace else. Which direction did you pick and why? So, um, I'm atypical. <laughs> um, <laughs> I dropped out of high school in my sophomore mm -hmm. year. I, um, we had just, my mother and I had just recently moved to a, a place where, uh, 
they were a little bit behind the curriculum that I had been in. And so I was doing work all over again. And that bored me to yeah. tears. I was no longer challenged. I was really frustrated. Um, I dropped out of high school. Actually, I ended up getting kicked out of high school because I ended up not showing up. I was going to the library, skipping school yeah. and going to the library and hanging out there. And um, once I, I got kicked out of high school, I decided that I wanted to really explore the world. And um, I took off hitchhiking across the country. I ended up joining a carnival and traveling with a carnival for a season. And um, then I went into uh, learning how to cook in a professional kitchen. And then I uh, got my GED and started doing some college stuff. I never ever actually even finished the college stuff, but I took some lessons, uh, graphics lessons. I took uh, language lessons in Russian. I took some philosophy courses. Um, I took some fashion design and uh, I just sort of dabbled in a lot of different things, sort of creating the education that I felt I needed um, for myself. Mm -hmm. And then at uh, 22, I had climbed the corporate ladder, become a corporate trainer for um, a national company. And I set that aside and decided to go into business for myself. I got married to my then partner and um, set off on that entrepreneurial married life. And I got married at 23. I got married at 23 as well. And I came from a different country. My background with the school stuff was um, I, I came to, I'm from British Guiana and I came to the United States. When I was 12 years old. I was in my second year in college. And when I came here, they put me in junior high school. I almost lost my mind. Yeah. So it killed I, me. I, 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 yeah, it is. I mean, stuff I had gone, <laughs> I had done woof, years ago, um, and I almost failed because I was so frustrated with mm -hmm. their mindset and how they taught and all that type of stuff. It just drove me nuts. So I can understand uh, some of what you went through when you uh, just upped and left. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't have that option. I didn't know anything about that option. My mom and dad would have killed me. But... Um, uh, here you are, you got in, uh, married at 23, I did the same, and um, uh, you left the corporate world. Talk to us about that. Why did you make that pivot uh, from the corporate world and going into your own entrepreneurial um, adventure? I think because, you know, looking back, I feel like the corporate world, I'd spent um, from 17 to 22 five years, um, climbing the corporate ladder as obviously a very young person. And I yeah. had gotten to the point where I was a corporate trainer and I was training people in systems, like how to do this okay. and how to do that. And, you know, here's how to, to properly do customer service and so on and so forth. Yeah. And, um, I feel like looking back at the time, it was not specifically a conscious decision because of this. It was like, oh, I want to run my own business. But looking back, yeah. I feel like 
I had gotten out of that track of my life what I needed. Like mm -hmm. I had learned a love of systems to help people understand yeah. things. And I had learned that I really, really love educating people and digging down into these topics, even if the topics is, you know, how to run a color copier, like how to yeah. dig down yeah. into that and teach that to people in the most effective way possible. And so that was, that to me was almost like um, a college education. And then yeah. You know, so I took that into my entrepreneurial um, journey where I, as far as I or anyone has been able to determine, I was the first person to teach sewing classes over the internet. I started in wow. um, 1996 and I did that for 10 years using originally listserv and PDFs and then um, custom bulletin boards and PDFs hmm. and, you know, like, so, uh, and I ended up teaching uh, about 35,000 students in 57 different countries about sewing and fashion design and pattern creation and fitting and techniques and style and creativity and so on and so forth and wrote over 15,000 pages of content during that time. Wow, here you are doing all of that, Heather. Where were you <laughs> in your mind? I Where was, so that, that's a really good question. So <laughs> I was, um, personally, I was struggling. I, uh, my husband at the time um, was having his own mental struggles. And I was trying to love him hard enough to pull him through. Um, mm -hmm. But love is no match for um, uh, borderline personality disorder and alcoholism combined. And I was really, really trying to keep it together. And I ended up having a hard time maintaining my business and my social connection with my partner. And I was very isolated from other people and it became emotionally abusive. And um, I left him for a short period and he said he had quit drinking and then we got back together and it got even worse for the next two and a half years until I was able to leave him again. And so at yeah. 34, I uh, left my husband and um, decided to focus in on what I wanted and needed out of life. At that space right there, when you left, because um, I know um, in many in, with women, the emotional ties that we have, will cause us sometimes to go back and try again, if you will. And um, we, I know some people try to uh, come down on themselves for it. And I tell them, no, you know, you have to give that, that shot for you. Because when you do that, when you see the patterns continue, you knew that, I have done my best and it's time to move on. And so once you've done that, 
yeah. you're, there's a degree of closure uh, there that you're not going to be looking back. And so I tell them, get your closure before you move, if you can. So that I when completely you go, agree. You're I absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, it's one of the things that I actually talk about when I am um, in my book, for example, about boundaries. One yeah. of the things I talk about is instead of leaving and then setting standards on whether you will come back, for example, mm -hmm. um, set the standards and make every effort for a set period of time. I am willing to put yeah. in every effort into my relationship for the next three months, the next six months, the next one year, set a period of time, put in everything you can be 100% there for your relationship. Mm -hmm. And then if they don't meet you, then take your peaceful step away. Right. I, I, I call it I call it changing where you are in the relationship, mm -hmm. changing where you are and how you behave and see if they're where they are and how they are behaving is in reaction to you or if it's something internal that really has nothing to do with you at all and therefore is not something that you can fix. Yeah, we had a, have a tendency to want to fix, especially um, women. Uh, you guys always want to fix us because I remember it was, I was one of those bad boys and um, a friend of mine, we were uh, having a conversation and um, this lady walked up to me and was talking to me and stuff like that. And when she left, I mentioned to my friend, I said, why, why, why are women uh, coming to me like that? And she said, because they want to fix you. <laughs> um, she looked yeah. broken and they want to yeah, fix there's definitely, you. <laughs> there's definitely that part of it. Um, also though, yeah. I, I, I call I would... it the mother, um, the mother effect. Is oh, like, sure. And I don't know, that's what's coming from her. She said, it's yeah. the mother effect. It is that women want to be a mom and they, they like fixing broken things. <laughs> I would laugh so I would, I, I would say you know. two things, you know, the, the first <laughs> thing is I will push back on that because right mm -hmm. now, actually, interestingly enough, a majority of my clients in coaching, um, are men and mm -hmm. they are very much trying to fix and protect and change the women that they're engaging mm -hmm. with. It's just the, yeah. the challenge is, is that it comes from a different perspective, whereas femmes tend to, as you said, want to mother, whereas mm -hmm. masculine folks tend to want to protect and mm -hmm. they end up I being agree. essentially the same thing, just from different perspectives. Different perspective. Absolutely. The, I agree with you. The other thing, and this is, this is the funny thing. So when I talk to people like online and they ask for advice about X, Y, Z, and they say, okay, you know, this happened and they said they would never, ever do it again, but how do I know? How can I make sure they never do X, Y, Z again? Right. Cause everybody thinks this, like, mm -hmm. how can I make my partner behave? Right. Yeah. Whatever behave means fill in that blank. And yeah. What I like to say is this, whatever you do 
to make them behave. Is that what you are willing to do for the rest of your life with that person? Mm -hmm. Are you willing to be their parent? Are you willing to constantly check their text messages to make sure they're not doing whatever they said they weren't going to do? Are you willing to be constantly throwing out alcohol bottles if you find them in the house? Are you willing to be constantly arguing with them about them staying out late and not sending you a text message or whatever it is? What are you willing to do for the rest of your life with that person? Because when you do it the first time, you are setting yourself up to be more likely to do it the second time, the third time, the fourth time, et cetera. What you allow <laughs> is what you are mm -hmm. giving permission for within your relationship. And doing it once to have that conversation, right? Having that conversation and discussing it, that's one thing. But then when you're what I call overstepping your boundaries, and you start yeah. taking responsibility for someone else's behavior and actions, that's when you know, okay, I'm going to have to do this for the rest of our lives together, or I'm going to have to step back within my boundaries and say, no, thank you. We are both adults. If you're not meeting me where I need you to be, if you're not in the same vicinity that I am, joyfully, ecstatically, yeah. mm -hmm then we're not a fit. Yeah, I think everyone, for me, everyone in the relationship need to be responsible for their growth. 100%. And it is a, um, and, and if that person is not responsible for their growth, you have no business there. That's, that's, that's me. I, I, because you, as you began to, as I set boundaries, your personal development, you learn to set boundaries within yourself. I, you give yourself time limits and so forth. And when you're turning to a, someone in a relationship and that person doesn't understand boundaries or have none with themselves, mm -hmm. they will always try to, um, impose themselves and so there there is the clash because there is no boundaries and because there is no boundaries with one person we will always have this you are responsible to honor yourself honor your word um, respect yourself uh, all of these things and as i'm standing next to you i am respecting me and i look at you and i'm looking at us and going we're kicking ass, <laughs> but, you know, and we're growing together. I allow when there is um, an, an opportunity to growth, we call it the scotoma, the blind side. When my mate sees my blind side, because I'm so familiar with it, I am unaware of it. Uh -huh. That's an honor uh, position that she's in. And she makes me aware that, hey, 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 honey. You have a blind side. You have a scotoma. Now, mm -hmm. as honey, most of us, if you are not, if you don't understand, you will lash out at her because she has tapped a sensitive, um, something sensitive within you. And so you will lash out at her and it gets out of hand. But it was an honorable thing that she did 
she saw something and she brings it to your attention so that you can address it on your own. It is your response. I noticed this. You are not able to notice it. Yeah. But here it is. And I, I remember I would say to my uh, to anyone that came to me, my friends and stuff, I would tell them, I will bring it to the forefront of my thought. And I knew that when I said that, it was my responsibility to go in, began to meditate, began to investigate, began to ask questions. Why did I respond the way I did? Mm -hmm. uh, why did I lash out? What was that? Where? Did, and so then I began to dig deep and she gets to see that this man is 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 handling his shit if you will and i think you have to have that boundary with the others because if they don't if they don't have boundaries with themselves they're going to try to abuse me because they don't understand what boundary is oh absolutely i i like to say that boundaries and ethics are two sides yes. of the same coin. So, and it is very, exactly. very difficult to maintain your personal boundaries when you are not respecting others' boundaries mm -hmm. um, and vice versa. It is difficult yeah. to respect other boundaries when you don't know what your boundaries are. Um, yeah. Although I do tell people that often it is easier to start radically honoring other people's individuality and autonomy and to see how that would then reflect back on your own desires and needs because for a lot of people go, going back to like how we're raised and socialization a lot mm -hmm. of people are taught to be blind to themselves in favor yep. of what society Obvious. tells us we should be thinking mm -hmm. or feeling or whatever and and this is on a yeah. number of levels whether you're you're talking from the you know you the you mentioned the femme mothering perspective or whether you're talking you know toxic masculinity you know the masculinity mm -hmm. that comes out as toxicity or whether you're talking about um you know going along to getting along or fitting in or you know whatever it yeah. is when you start looking at other people and saying to them like honestly if we are in a relationship it's important to me that we are collaborating to create yep. our best life possible for me as an individual, for you as an individual, and then for us as whatever we end up being together, right? Yes. The challenge is that until you say something like that and you commit to something like that in your heart of hearts, not just like, oh yeah, that sounds nice, but I don't really <laughs> think it's possible, right? Because we have been yeah. taught that relationships are control or be controlled. So the idea of being utterly and completely free within our relationships mm -hmm. to connect and negotiate with another adult who is completely autonomous and free and able to make their own decisions is freaking terrifying to most people yeah. especially the first yeah. couple hundred times you tried to do it right so mm -hmm. what you said hey i have noticed this thing about you that is harmful to me and maybe harmful to others and i say okay the first thing i do is say thank you like mm -hmm. oof, that hurt 
I wasn't ready to hear that. Yeah. I didn't know what, but thank you for saying it. And can I please take five or 10 minutes to go think a little bit before we have a continued conversation? Or thank you for telling me I'd like to think about this. And may I get back to you in the next day or two with some questions, right? Like, how do we then take what they have offered to ourselves and be able to look at it from a perspective of who we know ourselves to be and what we want from life? Because let's face it, some people are going to offer us something that we can thank them for, but we're not going to take the advice because what they are seeing of us is not how we reflect to ourselves. And, you know, we don't want to be more of X, Y, Z person or whatever. And sometimes we're going to take that and we're going to say, dang it, they're right. Mm -hmm. And that's when we're going to get the opportunity to come back and say, can you tell me more about this? Can you give me some examples? Um, Could you work with me if I fail at making this change to remind me that we can both be better at this thing? So, yeah, I think that that's, that's absolutely huge. And having people in your life who you have picked because they honor your boundaries and they validate you and they fill you up makes a huge difference in that because then when they say something you're like oh my goodness this is somebody i can trust they are not saying this to hurt me or to manipulate Mm -hmm. me or to get something out of me they are saying this because they know that who i am as a person is not in alignment with this thing that they've noticed about me and they want to have the best relationship possible with me as a human, not just they want to get the most out of this relationship that they can. 100% agree. Absolutely. That is the way it should be. And I, I, I used to refer to that, that you have the two individuals that have their relationship is this outside entity. Mm-hmm. And you, I would think of my relationship as that. And so I would want do my best to protect that outside entity. Number one, how I behave, how I speak, how I allow others to speak to her, how all of this outside entity becomes a way that I protect while we are both on our journey, learning about ourselves and interacting here with our relationship. And so um, that's how I, I have trained myself to look at it. And it's assisted me to be mindful. And that's one of the most important things in a relationship. And so here you are, you're this woman that uh, just left the husband, and you're out. So you're out now you're looking, you, you know that this chapter is closed. What did you see when you began to look out what were you seeing when you when you got well first i looked back i spent about a year just Mm -hmm. sort of 
regrouping. I put myself in a social cocoon. I didn't interact with people much. Um, and I spent time looking back over my relationship and where I had not taken responsibility for my mental health and well-being, where I mm -hmm. had allowed things I did not want in my life and my relationship, and where I had given in on things that were important to me in order to make the relationship work. Um, and I learned a lot during that year. What, what were some of those things, looking back, um, did you notice? Specifically, um, did you notice? So one of my favorite examples is the first time he took money out of my wallet without asking permission. Right? Like that, I allowed it. We'd been married for several years and like I found money missing and that ended up leading to him taking money and then gaslighting me about it long term, mm -hmm. right? Another one was, was a simple one. In uh, a discussion, this probably even, well, <laughs> when we got engaged, this had actually happened. We'd gotten into a big argument and he threatened to leave, right? And that ended, that ended up becoming an engagement. <laughs> <laughs> which, ooh, how <laughs> big of an issue is that right there, right? He threatened to leave, but that yeah. ended up becoming a pattern through our relationship. Whenever something would go wrong, he would blow up with this big fiery temper of his. <clears throat> if he didn't get his way, he would threaten to leave. And then I would capitulate because I was trying to save the relationship and what I thought we had and the potential that we had originally created for ourselves. Um, so things like that. Yeah. Like it was, it was definitely, it's not, I don't ever take responsibility for his behaviors. Right. Yeah. Like I don't say it's my fault. He stole money from me. It's not, it is yeah. his fault. He stole money from me. It was my responsibility to protect myself better. And at the time, I did not know how to do that. I did the best yeah. I could with what I knew and I failed myself. But I can look at that and say, but I will not fail myself in the future because I've examined that and I've taken that into my heart and my mind. Heather, what was, because you, you had such a foundation with your, your mom and dad, uh, a powerful foundation. What tools did you bring in? Because your dad, you know, and your mom, uh, some <laughs> of the most powerful things that a, an individual could learn at such a young age. Yeah. Um, when you investigated and started recognizing patterns and behaviors and all of those things, what tools did you bring into your life in that year? And it continues, but what did you introduce in your life to start helping and assisting you to stand, if you will? So the first thing I did was I used, it's, it's, I look at things from my childhood in terms of like the privilege I had growing up with such amazing people. And mm -hmm. one of the privileges that I had was that our home was full of books. Yeah. I can read fast. 
I can research, I can take things in. Like, and so one of the first things I did when um, I left my partner, my husband for, you know, the last time is I immediately started reading every book I could on love, sex, romance, and psychology. Like every yeah. single book I could get my hands on. And even so much so that I, you know, this was um, 2007-ish. Um, mm -hmm. So that was the heyday of like online learning and so on and so forth, yeah. you know. And um, I'm not sure if you remember, but back in the day, uh, the game came out and the pickup mm -hmm. artist yep. community began. Yeah. So I joined that community <laughs> yeah. and I learned wow. from them as well and the relationship gurus that were online. Um, yeah. And so in the course of that year, I read about 500 books, um, wow. e-books, you know, books from the library, books from the bookstore. I just read everything I could get my hands on and just soaked in it, right? Like I didn't, I didn't try to critically assess everything as I was going, although I, I obviously did some of that because that's, you know, what I was taught to do. But I just, what I was trying to do is I was trying to like soak the parched earth with all that it needed so that whatever needed to grow could grow. I also, during that time, um, because my, my ex-husband had had a mental uh, debilitation that he mm. was not aware of, I, um, his mother knew, but he had not been told. He'd been diagnosed when he was young. Um, I went to get a battery of psychological tests done, and I found out that for myself, part of the um, disconnect I had felt through my life from other humans um, was the fact that I have a, an empathy deficit disorder. I have low empathy naturally. And so mm -hmm. that kind of connection that a lot of people have naturally with other humans, like they can sort of, you know, get into and feel the feelings and their moods and so on and so forth. I did not have that. So in some ways, it was relatively easy to manipulate me emotionally because that's yeah. where I was weakest. I loved very hard, but I was not emotionally intelligent. I didn't have mm. the same tools that other people did. And they wanted to put me on um, drugs, antipsychotics, actually. And they wanted me to be in therapy um, twice a week. And I was at the time, because I'd been reading so much, I'd read about brain plasticity. And mm. I decided to eschew the drugs. No drugs for me, thank you. No thank you on the therapy. I had... Um, tried couples counseling with my partner and I really didn't like the overall feel for me. It felt very yeah. awkward and stunted and like it would take a really long time. And um, that said, I, I, I also work with therapists through um, mutual clients and they do mm -hmm. amazing work. So I, I am not knocking therapy just at the time. My choice was that it felt to me like therapy and medication was making me a monster in yeah. the system's eyes. And I had been reading about brain plasticity. And so I decided to use the models of brain plasticity and um, the years I had spent uh, training 
and um, showing and competing with mm-hmm. dogs as a yeah. model for creating my new me, a person mm-hmm. who connected with other humans better in life, who found love where I looked for it and who was able to provide compassion and kindness and also to receive it from others. That is a powerful um, explanation, if you will, Uh, because I was thinking you were trained or programmed at a young age and uh, going and getting the data. That's one of the things. What did you say to yourself, Heather? Because I tell people there's, it's a, that's a two-part process. One has to say something to yourself, maybe something along the lines that I cannot, I will never let this happen to me again. And once you yeah. make that declaration, you then go and begin to collect data to make sure that that doesn't happen again. What was your declaration to yourself that you made that started you onto that um, accumulation of data, if you will? Well, I mean, what you just said, I don't ever want that to happen again, right? Like that was, that was the, you know, looking back and saying, where did I, where could I have changed the course of my entire life? So that was part Mm. of it. Deeper than that, though, is a lot of the emotional abuse I received from my partner was based on the idea that I was socially awkward and did not fit in. Mm. So that was like a part of his ability to, I didn't have a lot of friends to begin with. I had several close friends um, who adored my weirdness. but. It, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was able to isolate me from them yeah. and from my family with his words about, you know, I, one day I remember I had gotten a new car. Like I had literally saved up my money and paid cash for a brand new convertible. And I was so super excited and I was offering people rides and I was like telling them how yeah. thrilled I was about this. And he told me later that all of that was the rudest thing he had ever seen that people thought I was bragging and, you know, yada, yada. And it tore me down. And at the time I said to him, I'm like, well, if they didn't want to hear it, they literally could have stopped me at any time or they could have gotten Mm -hmm. up and walked away or whatever, but it still got deep inside me, right? Like that I wasn't able to read the room in the way that he did. Now, whether or not he was right, I don't know. But learning about my own deficit in that area and then wanting to create a better life, not just for myself, but ultimately for the people that come into my life and their experiences with me, was the critical aspect. It was, it included never being in an abusive relationship again. Right. But Mm -hmm. that was in my eyes, a symptom of the greater inability or um, diminished ability to connect Mm -hmm. that I needed to address. And when, because you had mentioned earlier that um, working with the canine 
population, you got to look and understand some processes there that you thought would be advantageous, uh, that would be good for you, advantageous for you. Um, as you are gaining your knowledge, you, you said you took some time for a year and then you came out of this cocoon. Mm-hmm. Where did you find yourself heading to once you came out of your cocoon um, uh, of your lab, if you will, to to redirect your thoughts, redirect your belief system, redirect you? Where did it begin to steer you as you're coming out from that um, sabbatical for a year? So the next year I went on 127 first dates. Because again, this was the mid 2000 <laughs> aughts, and it was you know the yeah. the the heyday of online dating. Yeah. Online dating, so, yeah. So I made a. You I made guys a are brave, by the way. You guys are brave to do that type <laughs> stuff. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it. I made a pact with myself. I said to myself, "I will go out on a date with anyone who asks me who does not actually like creep me out or scare me in the conversation." Mm-hmm. And so I did. And I, I feel like that was, I talk a lot about education. You know, I've, I've talked about, you know, quitting formal education in order to educate myself. I've talked about yeah. like going to work in the corporate world and educating myself. I, I've talked about, you know, brain plasticity and reading to educate myself. This was another form of education. I learned so much. I'm sure you did. In those days. (laughs) I learned how people present themselves online and the patterns Mm -hmm. that you can spot for how they actually are. I learned how people speak online and, you know, what words and phrases and the way that they use combinations of letters to present themselves and how that ends up looking in real life across a table from them. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of what I did not want in my life. And I made a list. (laughs) These are things I do not want in my life. And heck, if I did not, heck, if I chose the next relationship, I did not get any of those things because I had a list. I do not want these things in my life. My next relationship did not have any of those things. It had its own challenges. I was bored mm-hmm. to tears. Like <laughs> I chose the opposite of yeah. my ex-husband. And yeah. instead of a fiery, passionate, you know, like ball of craze, I ended up with somebody who was calm and <laughs> steady and comforted by home. And, you know, absolutely at peace with whatever happens and never really (laughs) wanting to make things, you know? And so I got bored, right? Like, cause I went from that to that and neither one like Goldilocks and the three bears, right? (laughs) Neither one was just right. (laughs) Oh, that is so funny. I'm laughing because I, Back in the day, as they say, when I was in my crazy um, phase, I would I would go to my friends, my female friends, and I'm saying I would say to them, "Okay," uh, because when my friend told me about that thing about um, wanting to fix men, mm-hmm. I, I started to investigate that, and so I would go to the girls and said, "Okay, you have a couple of 
guides in your life. One is this personality. He is a drug addict. He's a drunk. He's, he's a mess, but he's a lot of fun. This guy, on the other hand here, he is very calm, just like what you just uh, yeah, yeah. secure, um, all of that. And um, what would you do? Which one would you pick? And all of them, a ton of them, all of them went for the bad boy. And I'd look at them and say, what is it? Why? And I would ask that question, why? And just like what my friend said, you know, it'd be fun and maybe, maybe they can fix him. Yeah. And yeah. one day I, I remember I talked to my friend, she's, she's an artist and I love her. I love her. And I said, uh, which one? And she looked at me. She said, I want the guy in the middle. That was the very first yeah. person that ever said that. And I said, why? And she nailed it. She said, because he's, he's a little dangerous and a lot of fun, but he's secure. And yeah. she was the only one that got it, that there is this guy that's in the middle there that yeah. is, is spontaneous, as crazy as ever, but... He is, he has this uh, um, stableness within him that uh, he's able to move and it is him, but you're going to have yourself some fun. And so that guy in the middle. <laughs> that's, the, that's it. You know, you got your too hot, you got your too cold and you got your just right. And yeah. that's a message that I try to share with the world is that yeah. the man that I've been with for the past 10 years. The mm -hmm. man I adore beyond everything in this yeah. world, like the most wonderful human I've ever known is he looks like the boy next door. Not usually my type at all. Right. Like mm -hmm. he's very kind. He's compassionate. He is, he's the, we, we joke. He says, why do you always overthink things? And I'm like, why do you always overfeel things? <laughs> right? Like he is like, he's that guy. He writes love notes. He brings me flowers. Nice. And he has explored the worlds of alternative sex with me. And he yeah. is the most amazing lover I've ever had. And he is yeah. passionate and he is thrilling and he is adventurous. There is, you do not have to choose one or the other. That is a false yeah. dichotomy mm -hmm. for yes. sure. Yes. Like, and it drives me insane when people present those false dichotomies as yeah. if you have to choose one or the other because mm -hmm. Ken, and I'm sure if you talk to your, your masculine friends, um, or I'm sure you probably have talked to your masculine friends and there are so many out there who will say, and who has not heard this women, crazy women, which is a pejorative, but crazy women mm -hmm. are better in bed. Yeah, they'll bring your baggage in and set it right down next to my bed and we will have amazing sex, right? Like mm -hmm. that is, that's a stereotype. Yeah. And I know men, I know at, at least one man um, in my personal life, not just men that I've talked to online, but you know, someone in my personal life who is literally in therapy trying to overcome that idea that off their rocker, like mentally mm -hmm. disturbed people are better in bed because yeah. he is so tied 
to that somewhere deep inside of himself that it's hard for him, even with an amazing, beautiful girlfriend who is adventurous and fun and whatever, it is so hard for him to think, well, but she's also stable. So maybe I'm not having as much fun as I could be having, mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe mm -hmm. this is going to go the wrong direction, whatever it is. And this is, this is where setting our personal boundaries and saying, what do I want to prioritize in my life? And yeah. not just what do I want to avoid? Because I did that, right? And I avoided mm -hmm. all of that. But then I didn't look at what do I actually want in my life? What do I want from a partner, right? I want passion. I want flowers. I want somebody who can make me laugh. I want someone who fills me up. I want somebody who, when we have that conversation, when I say, hey, Ken, I've noticed something on your blind side, they yeah. say, thank you. How can mm -hmm. we collaborate to make our lives better together? And how can we work together to make our separate lives, our individualities also better? Because to me, all of this combines into one basic concept. Well, two basic concepts, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw an extra one in there. The one basic concept is a successful relationship is two people who both get far more out of the relationship than they put in, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever I do, like when I'm having a conversation with you, the way I speak, the way I communicate with you fills you up, makes you feel good about the relationship, about our conversation yeah. and about, our, about yourself, right? It is compatible with who you are as a person. And I'm just talking, right? And then yeah, when yeah. you talk, you bring value to my life and fill me up because of the questions that you ask and the way that you present things. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the idea of what I call it's, it's about boundaries and creating the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. in your relationship. So the sweet spot is a Venn diagram, right? You've got this circle and this is mm -hmm. what I want, right? And you've got this circle and this is what you want. And in the middle there, that is your separate entity. That is your, what I would call an artistic project and collaboration between the two of us. That is yeah. the relationship where what we both want overlap, right? And in a casual acquaintance, that might be 10% or only one thing. You know somebody online from a forum, you share one thing, and that is a love of collecting used bubblegum wrappers, right? Mm -hmm. And that is the yeah. one thing you absolutely share. And that's it. That's enough for a relationship. Um, a friend, you might overlap 20%. You love mm -hmm. going out you love Motown and um, you love fly fishing, right? So mm -hmm. you do these things. That is your relationship there. With my partner now, I'd say we probably overlap on about 85%. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the things we put in our relationship. And the things that don't go into our relationship for him would be like his mountain biking. I don't mountain bike, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, his love of beer. IPAs specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even drink. He also loves wine. Um, I drink so little that I've never even been drunk in my life. On the other side, you know, going thrifting. Yeah. That's not something he really desires to do with me. 
And that's yeah. fine. That does not need to be part of our relationship. That's a part of me as an individual yeah. human, just like his mountain biking is part of him as an individual human. And we both collaborate to make time and space for our individual needs, mm -hmm. right? Because that's also a part we both want to have individuality and time and space away from each other to miss yes. each other and to mm -hmm. do our separate things. That is one of our collaborative desires in this art project, this separate entity that we call a relationship. Absolute powerful advice. And one of the things I would tell people, um, make the list of what you want, um, yeah. because you will recognize what you don't want. Uh, but make that list, have that conversation with yourself. Um, mm -hmm. And you need to be as honest as possible. Um, and all of it, just write it down. And you would be amazed because uh, one of the principles is that as you write it down, uh, you will draw that energy towards you. You are clarifying what you want to come into your space as you're writing it down. And yes. if you haven't clarified it, you're going to have all kinds of crazy people coming in your space. But when you write it down, you're actually creating that uh, individual, pulling them to you in the sense and they will come, but you must write it down. Most of us do not. This is one of the most important decisions and process that you will ever do in your life because this is about your mate. This is about your life partner. You will need to be very specific with what you want from that partner. And I promise you that they will show up. I promise you. Because so interestingly enough, in my book, <laughs> um, Take No Shit, and in yeah. my workshop also, I love the Take title, No by Shit. The way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I actually have a section called Supercharge Your Boundaries that mm -hmm. directly um, t speaks to what you are just saying. It's when you have a thought and everyone, yeah. everyone has experienced this. You have a thought, you walk into a room and you're like, why am I here? Right? Thoughts yeah. are ephemeral. They, they are not concrete, right? Yeah. So saying, oh, well, this is what I'd really like in my relationship. And just thinking it is not enough. Nope. Right? So what I said is in order to get the most out of either my book or my workshop, the first thing that you should ideally do is take notes. Take notes on what you want. Take notes on what you don't want. I actually even have a um, take no shit uh, boundaries journaling app so mm -hmm. that it asks a question every day so that you can write out what your thoughts are on that particular question. And then you can either keep it private, like a private journal, or you can share it with the public and engage with others on their thoughts and topics on the boundaries. But don't just write it. Write it, and if you can, draw it, like mind map it out, mm -hmm. because colors and images help you remember yep. things. Remember. Um, read it out loud mm -hmm. to yourself, or even better, share it with others. Because when you explain to others your thoughts after having thought them, written them, drawn them, and then you explain to others and teach others about the way that you think. You have hit so many parts of your brain and your brain 
is amazing. The brain wants us to be right. So what we feed it in all those different parts of the brain, it wants to make that right. So when we say, I really want, I require as a bare minimum, a relationship where I feel filled up and validated. And here are the attributes of that type of communication that I'm looking for, writing it out, drawing it out or mind mapping it, speaking it out loud and talking to other people about it. That helps set it into our hearts and minds in such a way so that when we're out there, it is our reticular activation system recognizes it more readily and says, that's what I was looking for. Or that is, you know, that's on that checklist. And it goes, Mm -hmm. I noticed this. Whereas if we just think it, gosh, it'd be really nice to have somebody who validated me, (laughs) you know, that's going to, right? Just out of our heads. And the next time somebody does that, we're going to be so caught up in, you know, our own insecurities and, you know, concerns and so on and so forth. that that validation could just as easily out of the way, right? And we won't even recognize it when it's being offered. This is why I tell people, when you start to set boundaries in your life, there are going to be people that you love now who are not going to stick around because Mm -hmm. what they want out of you is not who you are authentically, but who you are when you're giving them more of yourself than you want or can afford to give. And that's okay. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But the thing is, this is why people with healthy boundaries tend to also attract people with healthy boundaries because we mm-hmm. recognize them when we see them. We are able yeah. to honor other people's healthy boundaries and also set ours because one of the things that I require out of anybody in my life is the idea that if I ask them a question, I know that they will honestly be able to say, no, thank you. Yeah. Or enthusiastically say, yes, please. Right? Mm-hmm. I will not get any of that. Well, I just did it because you wanted me to. And now I want you to do this. So you should do it. No, that does not work for me. I will not do this thing that you yeah, want me says, to do simply um, because you I want I grew it. up in the church and the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no's be no's. Yeah. And another thing, I remember this lady that I talked about and she, <laughs> she wrote on the list, Heather, even down to the ugly sweater at a Christmas party. She, she, she okay. said where she wanted to meet that individual. And she had the pattern of the ugly sweater on her list. So she said when she saw him across the room with that same ugly sweater that she had on her list, she knew that was the one. And she yeah. and that man, they are married have um, a beautiful relationship, but yeah, it, it is, you have, you need to do that. You need to do that. It, it, you'll be amazed how things work for you. So here you are ahead. I mean, you got it, girl. You, you, you went through all of it. You created your, uh, your, um, the way by which you are serving and you are here in your life at this time. Where do you see yourself being pulled now in when you're looking at f- uh, five years down, 
um, or even tomorrow, <laughs> if you will. Um, what is it that is stirring in you? Because I tell people that stirring is always there when it's time for a shift, if you will. Mm -hmm. What is stirring in you, um, Heather, and where do you think it's taking you? Um, so immediately, right now, uh, the digital version of my book is out. It came out eight days ago. But at the end of October, thank you. Um, at the end of October, um, I will, I'm hoping to have the audio version out and then the interactive print version. Um, so that's kind of immediate. And because I am who I am, I'm a content creator. I love writing. I love engaging with people and whatever. I've already started outlining and working on my next book, which is <laughs> going to be, um, actions speak louder than words or do they, how we kill our relationships with too much talking. And yeah. so that's going to be focusing in on um, how, when we talk about communication in our relationship, we usually focus in on um, conflict conversations and talking them through versus mm -hmm. my idea is that communication in any relationship, your relationship with me right now, Ken, you know, the, the, technical issues that we might have had when we were talking back and forth via email and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. All of that, those were words, but there's more than just words there. It's every single connection, every single attention, every single yeah. emotional reaction, everything that I do when I'm engaged with you from the moment that we connect on this planet until the end, that is communication, right? We are communicating yeah. something even when we're mm -hmm. not speaking. And yes. so that's the next book I'm working on. And then the whole thing, well, and I've also got a project coming up for um, neurodivergent people, the neuro spicy, where <clears throat> I'm mm -hmm. gonna be talking about dating as neuro spicy mm -hmm. folks. Um, but longer term, I'm focused in on this concept of uh, lucky in love and yeah. how there is a man, Richard Wiseman. He's a social psychologist, I think at Cambridge mm -hmm. in the UK. And um, he had written a book called The Luck Factor. And he's one of the first, well, he's the first human to ever study luck. Like, what is hmm. luck? How do we create? And he found out that luck is a skill. Chance oh. is that. Chance is random. But luck, yeah. people who consider themselves abnormally lucky versus people who consider themselves abnormally unlucky were compared in different activities and so on and so forth. And he found out that lucky people were skilled in luck. And that right. got me planning and thinking and growing the idea of being lucky in love. And what are the building blocks of that and boundaries with the take no shit book workshop app, mm -hmm. coaching, those are the first foundation block. Communication is a second foundation block and so on. So that's kind of like the big picture. That is awesome. I love it. 
uh, all of you guys that have been listening to us, um, Heather, I am going to provide all of her stuff so that you can get the books, you can get the app. I mean, everything. I want you guys to get into her space. And you know how I've always told you guys about books. That is a private time, one-on-one -on -one with the author, where you get a chance to create your space where you are able to allow those words to leap from the pages and get into you so that it can assist you in moving you through your pain and give it to friends. I love her, the, the relationship aspects. For those that are in relationships, you got someone here that has some understanding about that. And you guys need to get in contact with her so that she can walk with you. She has several other uh, ways by which, and I'm going to provide them all because I truly need you guys to get in touch with her. Heather, I want to thank you for coming and sharing both your time and your journey with us. It has been an honor to have you here. Oh, it has been absolutely my pleasure. I mean, I, I love this. And, you know, as you said, um, the book is me speaking to whomever, yep. right? The you at the other side of the book. And I've been lucky enough to, so far, like I said, it just came out a week ago. I've had two reviews. Um, one said, it sounded like I was talking to them like they were my dearest friend. And another one said mm. that it was as funny as going to a comedy show and it's the most important book they have ever read. So um, wow. I... I feel the same way though about like podcasts like this. Yes, I'm coming mm -hmm. on a podcast and and all of the podcasts that I'm doing in order to promote, you know, what I'm doing and yeah. I also feel deeply about being able to share information like this for free at no cost with all of these um different groups of people and individuals who are out there in the world yeah. who are looking at this from, you know, this enlightened perspective or that dating perspective yeah. or, you know, whatever. And so it is, you have helped me in sharing that service with so many other people. So Thank you, Ken, for your time and for your service to everyone, bringing people on and sharing this kind of information so that, you know, people can access it, hopefully, you know, when they need it in their lives. Yes. Thank you so much. I absolutely uh, receive your words and appreciation. And I thank you so much. As I said, again, it's been an honor. And I look forward to getting this thing on the schedule. We're going to give that to you, Heather, so you will know when it comes and uh, so that people can have um, an opportunity to hear about your passion and the insights that you have received so that you can assist. I love the fact that you can assist couples because it is necessary. It is so necessary. That you I can love have a beautiful relationship. I yeah, love working with couples. Beautiful. I work a lot with individuals, but bringing yeah. couples together is yeah. beautiful. It's beyond yeah. comprehension.
I love that about you. Well, thank you again, Heaven. Go enjoy that beautiful uh, man of yours. And thank you so much. Absolutely. Bye-bye.